In verse 15, it reads, Look carefully then how you walk. Not as, why, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I'm reading from the ESV, by the way. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this cool passage, and it's a very kind of a straightforward passage and very, very logical uh, as, as Paul is really treating the Ephesians maturely and, and talking to them about we have no place for the sins that were just mentioned earlier in this chapter, but we're rather we're on a path of greater and greater effectiveness and maturity as the body of Christ here on this earth and here in Asia Minor, uh, the capital of Asia Minor, Ephesus being, they just called it Asia. And, and here Paul, having great hope for the saints that have been gathered together in the body of Christ here, begins to lay out some additional prescriptives as he's been doing since chapter 4, verse 1. Prescriptives or imperatives or commands about what it is and how it is that they should live their lives. But in the midst of it, there's something odd that he kind of throws in after talking about all of the things that they ought to be doing. He throws in this idea, and don't get drunk with wine because that leads to debauchery. And it seems a little bit oddly out of place in the rapid-fire progression of very positive and logical and rational imperatives that, that Paul is, is laying out here. And we're, I'm going to come back to it in just a minute, but before we do that, I want to just take a little bit of a, a backdrop view as we've been now reading about these imperatives, about these prescriptives, that the commands that Paul has been giving to the church then, which extends to us as the church now, and some of the things that he lays out are really quite remarkable for anyone to be able to pull off. And for example, as he ends all of his uh, waxing romantic about the wonders of the grace of God that, that is given to us, he finishes all of the first three chapters, which are all about how, how great is our God, how great is this gift, how great is his love, how transformed are we, the wonders of it all. And he, and he ends it with, now, he, now to him who is able to do more, immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. So Paul leaves all of this beautiful affirmation of the intro to the letter, three chapters of this, he ends it with, and you've got this power of all power that is residing within you. And so as you go on to be the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Christ to this world, not only are you impelled by the grace of God, the burning thankfulness, the overflowing gratitude, where, what wouldn't I do for Jesus? My goodness, I was dead in sin and he made me alive in Christ. I am his workmanship, his masterpiece, created to do good works. Collectively, that is what we're affirmed to be in this letter. What wouldn't I do? And now he says, not only are you propelled by this gratitude, but he doesn't just leave you with a feeling of gratitude, 
to allow you to accomplish nothing less than the mission of Christ. Again, your plan A, there is no plan B. And so he not only gives you great motivation in grace, but he gives you the power to do it. And this power to do it is being described as immeasurable, incomparable, perhaps even beyond our wildest imaginations. But that power resides in you. And if in any way you were, you were doubting if that's the case, like, I, you know what? I think he missed me on this one. Right? Maybe Jeff got it, but I don't know. Some, somehow, I, maybe, maybe it wasn't a sufficient dose to really take in, in, in my system here. But, but Paul goes out of his way to make sure is that in him, you also, yes, you, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what is he? He is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Guarantee. A seal given to you. You, not me. This, these are Gentiles, by the way, who would be tempted to say, I, I don't know, maybe those Jews have been worshiping God and now they, they get Christ and, and they have the fulfillment. But I don't know about me. I was just kind of hanging at the Dionysian temple a little while ago. You should have seen the ugliness of that. But amen for Jesus. But I don't know if I have all that they have. You also. Right. And Paul's trying to make this. There is no second tier Christianity. You also, all of you, you have been reborn of the Holy Spirit. And he has come to seal you and guarantee and dwell within you. And he is a power that is immeasurable. And so as a result of that, as a, as a result of that, Paul is, is able to say, let's see if I come back to this. This is my last. Um, well, we'll go without. Um, as, as a result of that, he is, he is able to then call us to make sure that these are the things that he has as expectations of us. And I'm just going to be reading from, from different uh, passages here in the book of Ephesians. So he begins in Ephesians 1 with saying, I therefore urge you to walk in a manner, manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That's a big deal. That basically, what, what, what he's, he's calling us to is to have not just humility, but all humility. I, how many days can you say that, yeah, you know what? I'm glad that's my challenge today. Because I got this. The minute you said that, you don't got this. That's a, a, you know what, Paul? What, what else you got, man? Is that all just be, be humble, be gentle? And, and love and be patient along the way. This is like over the top stuff that we're being commanded to do here. How about a little later in chapter 4. Go ahead and put off your, your, your old self. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self. Created to be like God. Okay, there's your challenge today. You know what I want you to do today? In, in true righteousness and holiness, not just proclaimed righteousness and holiness. Today, you're going to live your day really holy, really righteous. And just do this today. 
just be like God. All right? So people bump into you and they're like kind of talking after they, they, they met you to their friends and they're like, I think I met someone who was just like God today. Oh, how, bar, how high is this bar set, Paul? What in the world? What, what else you got? And then uh, later he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. No more schadenfreude. No more like, aha, I, I take delight that, that that really, you know, bad guy over there, you know, tripped in front of everybody. No, no, no more kind of hanging on at all to, to any of our childhood issues of bitterness. You know what? If that's a reality in your life, you know how hard that very command is. This may be perhaps the most monumental of all ascents that you have in the book of Ephesians, is to get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, slander. How about, be kind, Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Wow. To forgive. You know, everybody says for forgiveness is easy until they have something to forgive. <laughs> then it's a world of difference. And in some cases where you know that you may be able to forgive, but there's no possible way you could ever forget. No possible way. And also, it would not be appropriate for you to agree with what was done. And that's fine because it was likely unrighteous. But even though it is unrighteous, and even though it is seared, into the fabric of your life, you are still called to forgive to the degree that Jesus forgave. Wow. Talk about transformation. Talk about a, a charge that, that leaves us figuring out how, how in the world am I ever going to be able to get after this? And then finally, before we get into the, the, the subject matter here, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved, loved us and gave himself up for us. That, I find that to be really amazing. Here's your, here's your now trajectory of the rest of your life. Kevin, just live a life of love. That's, that's all that it's going to be, just like Jesus did, just like God Here's your charge. Get on after it. And I, we all rightly kind of fall before this charge of Scripture and wonder out loud because it's not even inappropriate to be out loud about this. How? How in the world? Paul, I mean, thanks for the encouragement of the letter. Thanks for saying that, you know, we're adopted and we're chosen and we're predestined and we're children of God. And you give us all this. But how in the world? Thanks for the affirmations. But... Those affirmations, I don't think, are going to bring me to the place where I'm like Jesus. I'm like God. I forgive. Bitterness just melts away. I'm just filled with the zeal and wonder and excitement that's going to really allow me to be part of the hands and feet of Christ and to change the face of the world. How in the world is this going to happen? Well, then we come to the passage that we just read. Because he does not just leave us with sentiment to get the job done. Praise God. He gives us real substance, real stuff that can get the job done for us collectively as the body of Christ. And the way that he puts it to us is this. Do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
That spirit that I was talking about earlier, that incomparably power, incomparable power, that power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power that, yes, you also, every one of you also has. You want to get this done? Be filled with the spirit. You know what God's will is, he says right before this. Understand the Lord's will and now be filled with the spirit. Again, it's an interesting phrase and exactly why is it laid out this way? This is actually the way that he laid it out. And I know, but if we go... It's, it, it actually is laid out in such a way that the two ideas are set in parallel to one another, but, but yet still contrasting one another. And the contrast is given in the qualifier because that leads to debauchery. But the idea of drunk on wine and filled with the Spirit are, are laid out in parallel form. And, and, and again, it's not the idea of, okay, let's just get drunk on the Spirit. I'm going to talk about this for sure in a minute. But, but just so that we can kind of get, get the idea of what Paul is now using as this kind of launch pad to help the church head out and really engage in the spiritual battle that lay before them is that in, instead of allowing the effects of wine really change the way that you go about your living, you do need to allow the effects of the spirit to really change the way that you go about living. Now, yes, wine does something somewhat similar in that it gets rid of your inhibitions. But when those inhibitions were released, back when you perhaps did worship at the temple of, of, of Dionysus, who was the, the goddess of wine and debauchery and all of that, um, but that led to bizarre behavior. And, and none of it was profitable to you. But it did lower your inhibitions. However, when you really are filled with the Spirit, I don't know where that came from. Um, uh, do not get drunk on wine, at least to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But when you are filled with the, the, the Spirit, then, then there, there, there really um, is a, a, a flesh that gets out of the way so that the spirit can really have his way. So we've got to be keenly aware to the degree that we, in our kind of pride or arrogance of the flesh, think that we're better off going off of the best of our flesh rather than even the best of our flesh getting out of the way so that the work of the spirit can be done unhindered. And... Uh, interesting. Are you guys controlling slides from up there? You are? Okay. Here I was thinking I was doing good. So uh, let's, let's move on to the next slide there. So why am I even bothering down here? Uh, Philo, Philo of Alexandria um, said, said something rather, rather interesting. Um, he says, now when grace, he was a contemporary of Paul, wrote right around the same time, uh, and he wrote, now when grace fills the soul, that person rejoices and smiles and dances so that to the unenlightened, he may seem drunken. Now, uh, Philo goes on to write, and thus many of the foolish are deceived and suppose that the sober are drunk. And it is true that these sober ones are drunk in a sense. And th this would have been a common sentiment among not only Jews, and, and other kind of temple religions that they would use wine in their festivities to try to get people 
to lower their guard and have some sort of ecstatic experience while they were there. I guess even these cultic activities of these different temples recognize that if you could get people to lower their inhibitions, that maybe they'll kind of think that they had a, a more mystical experience somehow or another. But they don't have the Holy Spirit within them, and there's no such thing as Dionysus. There's no such thing as Artemis uh, of the great temple there. It's just an idol. It's just the carving of a man. It's God's creature creating yet another creature out of a bunch of stone. So what, what, what's the power of that? So all they had was this kind of little kind of uh, shell game of plying you with some wine, thinking that, well, maybe now you'll understand the ecstatic experience of really worshiping, finally really worshiping. So we've got that as a backdrop. And we also have as a backdrop for us a, a lot of um, abuses of the idea of the Holy Spirit filling you and, and those abuses have, have kind of been made famous. They're most famous through something called the Toronto Blessing. And it was, it was years ago, it began in, in a different place, but it ended up making its way to Toronto. And the supposed Toronto Blessing was this idea that the Holy Spirit has come upon us and everybody acted as though they were debaucherous drunk. And it was, it's really odd, and there are plenty of YouTube videos on this, which you can go see. But they, they were filled with holy laughter. And, the, and they began to behave in such ways that you wouldn't think, wow, look at how uninhibited they are. You would think, wow, how inappropriate they are. And, and, and it's a situation where I think Jesus speaks to it in Matthew 29, 29, where he would say to them, because again, this passage here, which really does exhort us to be filled with the Spirit and perhaps exhorts us in order for that to happen, to not let our inhibitions block the Spirit, but it is prefaced by and understand what the Lord's will is. So some of these attempts to try to channel an experience of the Holy Spirit that have happened in the last few decades have been attended by debaucherous activity. Jesus probably would have said, as he says in Matthew 29, 29, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. And I'm encouraged that I feel like we as the body of Christ, we have really dedicated ourselves to knowing the scriptures and to knowing the will of God. And I understand that we like control. Everybody does like control of their lives. And that is what our prefrontal cortex provides to us. And... And, and to kind of let go of that and, and trust that as we are uninhibited, that the Spirit will lead us in a way that is in alignment with the will of God can be rather frightening to, to really live our lives that way. But we've got to trust that it is a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. That being filled and guaranteed with that filling of the Holy Spirit, that what will result is never, ever, ever debauchery, but instead, the very will of God. And what would have been blocked by our own social kind of um, inhibitions, our own decorum, our own protocols that we think make for appropriate behavior... But it blocks having real conversations, getting real deep, even saying the word Jesus suddenly busts up all of those protocols. It's like, whoa, where'd that come from? Like we were just talking and now you just drop a Jesus in on the conversation. Like everything just changed all of a sudden. 
But you know that you have to pull back from your own inhibitions. You use the prefrontal cortex to do the math in your mind. You do the risk-reward assessment, the cost-benefit, and think, all right, if I say this, what's going to happen? It's going to be weird. I don't know. And, 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 but you know that it requires you to end up trusting and pulling back on your own inhibitions. For this to suddenly bust out and become a supernatural event where you're making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil, as, as, as this passage says. Uh, let's see what the next slide is. It's all a surprise to me. Um, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, now this is why we're familiar with this, because it was back in December that we were studying this event in Acts chapter 2. And in this event in Acts chapter 2, of course we know that the apostles were bringing the good news, the New Testament, the story of Jesus, the story of grace, to the masses that had gathered at Pentecost. And as they were there before the people, it says the Holy Spirit came upon them and enabled them to speak in other languages, and the crowd of thousands heard them speaking in their own native language. Right? They, and, and what they saw up there on what may have been the southern steps of the temple itself in Jerusalem, because that's where all the baptistries were, and right after this, 3,000 were baptized in, in this Acts 2 event. But, but what, what they, they heard was their own language. Right? So if, if suddenly... I were to, to bust into to Portuguese, then Nivaldo, I, I don't think, would immediately think, I think Ed had too much of that communion wine when it was going by. Somebody could keep an eye on him. You know, one, one little cup for that guy, right? Um, it, w it wouldn't be his first thought. Or behind him, if I busted out in Bulgarian, <laughs> made a mistake last time, right? Say, <laughs> George, George wouldn't be thinking too, like, oh, I don't know about our preacher anymore. It would not even be a consideration of, of either of you guys, whether it be Portuguese or Bulgarian, uh, if, if that were the case. But yet, why were the crowds saying about these guys in scoffing that ah, they've had too much to drink? You can't impugn a foreign language that is being spoken accurately. What, what are you going to do about that? And you can't assume that that came about by drunkenness. It's a disconnect logically. But there was a whole group of those guys. It wasn't just one up there. It wasn't just Peter. They were all up there. And perhaps it was the way that they comported themselves one with another. Perhaps it was the fellowship of the Spirit that they were really having, the way that they were expressing their, their gratitude, their love, their joy, as, as perhaps they were even kind of just busting out, as, as this passage talks about, in, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks all the time for everything. Now, I, as I've mentioned last time when we studied through this, I sadly had more than a few years of episodes of my life of drunkenness and of the inhibitions coming down. You know, what's interesting is in those episodes and, and everyone that involved an arrest, it also involved me singing a lot, a lot, a lot. And, and when my inhibitions come down, out come the songbook, right? And, and, and off I go and, you know, and, and it's just, you know, my goodness, somebody put a governor on that, please. And, and, and I'm a horrible singer on top of all of that. But what's interesting is I don't just sing. When those inhibitions are down or back in the day, by the way, I've repented. This is not a part of my life now, but I do, do kind of draw from it. 
And that in those times when my inhibitions were down, I didn't just sing. You know the other thing I did to everybody who was there? Told them how grateful I was for them. Right? I guess you would call it a happy drunken episode, right? I was like, oh man, you know, I, I love, Caleb, I love you. Oh, I, I'm so grateful for you. You're the greatest. That'd be odd because he's my son. It would assume that I'm drunk as a dad talking to him. Nothing like that ever happened. Pretend I had a friend named Caleb back when I was 19, named Caleb. But, <laughs> right, but, but, but that, that's also what is associated with lowered inhibitions is suddenly you're so much more easily connecting to one another. And think about the, the times when you've walked into a, a space and you've seen a lot of disciples gathered in a restaurant or, or gathered at a movie theater or wherever it might be. And, oh my goodness, they're the loudest, craziest people. There are. And if you happen to be late walking up to it, you see the other people like looking at them like, I don't know. I'd, I was like, are you going over to that group over there? I don't know. You might, you might be careful. I don't. Maybe they're a little bit drunk. I think, right? I mean, I, I've, I've had that. I remember in San Antonio where there were great groups of disciples and everybody just kind of living it up. By the way, Reach is coming up. Register, uh, Reach2016.com. But, but, but when you when you see that, you've seen that experience as well. That their inhibitions are down. They're just enjoying. Fellowship in the spirit. That what is being said right here, they're not drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. There is no debauchery either. It's not as though their behavior becomes worse in those situations. If anything, it becomes more encouraging, more loving, more deeply connecting, more aware of opportunities that are among us, even though the days are evil. They're making the most of those opportunities. They're sharing Jesus. They're, they're sharing encouragement one to another. Scriptures are, are going back and forth. That's what happens when inhibitions fall and we allow the Holy Spirit to really be able to have His way through these imperfect shells that, that, that we really are. Um, you go ahead and, and move on. So, so Peter says to them, yeah, they're not drunk as you suppose. He says it's only nine o'clock in the morning. And, and he goes on to say, this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. Yes, it's nine o'clock in the morning, but, but, but this is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. It's not drunkenness. This is what was now being fulfilled. The Holy Spirit has come on both young men and old men. Men and women, dreaming dreams, going after it, loving life, living life to the full that Jesus has promised to us. And as, as we recognize um, from that passage of really seeing God's people filled with the Holy Spirit, no longer constrained by the, the stasis of what normal society would want to put upon you, but, but rather being able to cast off that sort of restraint, not towards debauchery, but towards the Lord's will, then, oh my goodness, when that happens to us, and it is a communal command, it is a plural verb, be filled, body of Christ, brothers and sisters, community here, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What it is that we together, we are, we are now infused, energized, and really guided by the Holy Spirit, rather than the best of what we can conjure up, go to the next slide, the best of what we can conjure up in, in our good old prefrontal cortex. And what's interesting is when you do um, either functional MRIs or PET scans and you see what happens, the effects of alcohol, they've not yet done it to see the effects of someone filled with the Spirit. Um, 
Maybe somebody who's having a good day said, all right, come on, bring me to the PET scan, let's go. But, 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 but nonetheless, what, what happens is the, the, the red areas is where glucose is being metabolized. That means that the brain is active in those areas. Uh, the, the blue areas is, is where not so much. And so this is a, a PET scan of the prefrontal cortex, which lies dormant. And when, when the prefrontal cortex is dormant, I don't want to get too scientific about this. I don't think it matters that much. But where it is dormant, then it, it does kind of open the way uh, for less inhibited behavior. And again, not, not to, to kind of go down a path that would ever have even a taint of debauchery to it. But when this inhibition is gone, all that's left in spirit-filled people is the work of the Holy Spirit. But this is why it's so important that we are steeped in the Word of God. That we are informed by the Word of God of what His will is. Because you can kind of come up with anything that you want as your own desire and call it the will of God. And oh, the Spirit's just guiding me into this. And oh, that's why this, this girl obviously is, is, is meant for me through the Lord. No, what does the Word of God say? And again, we need to be people that remain in our Bibles so that it is easier for you to trust to pull on back from trying to go by the flesh. Trying to go by the force of your own flesh to get things done for Jesus and really allow the Spirit to be used by you, which does require you, in a very real sense, to let go of a lot of the control that you want to have. But if you let it go, and you're informed by the Word of God, you know the will of God, guess what's going to happen? The will of God. The will of God without capping, without restraint, without governor upon it. The will of God. It is released through us to do the will of God. Next slide, please. But, let's just say, I'm all alone. And, God forbid, I don't even have an invitation on me. Well, then what we've got to remember is, even though I'm all alone and I don't care, it's 9 o'clock somewhere. You know, as Jimmy Buffett says, it's half past 12 and I don't care, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Well, that's debauchery that he's heading to at 5 o'clock. We're not talking about 5 o'clock somewhere. 5 o'clock somewhere is debauchery. 9 o'clock somewhere is the will of God. The will of God unrestrained through every one of us. What a difference we can make as we read all that we have here in this, this great book of Ephesians. This is not kind of theory. This is really what is meant to be for the body of Christ. It's meant to be our lives. And we get to be able to do it if we just really allow the Spirit to, to, to work through, through us. I'm an introvert. I'm an extrovert. But I don't care. It's 9 o'clock somewhere. In Acts chapter 4, we have a situation where we see two people filled with the Holy Spirit. And I would submit to you that one was more of a classic extrovert and one was more of a classic introvert. And it's Peter and John. And Peter, I mean, extroverts of extroverts, right? I mean, there's a chance for him to say something somewhere, somehow, it happens. But not so much with John. But in Acts chapter 4, you have both an extrovert and an introvert in view here, and they're both being described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. I just want to share this. This has been my experience uh, as, as I've been trying to journal and be aware of this, even Deb, you know, Deb is, let's say, a little bit more of an introvert, and I'm a little bit more of an extrovert. But it's not cool to say you're an extrovert, by the way, anymore. It's very cool to say you're an introvert, because then people think, ooh, he's deep and brooding. 
But I'm not. I'm shallow. I'm happy. But it works for me. But anyway. So I'm more of an extrovert. Deb's more of an introvert. Here's the interesting thing. I think when we really do allow the spirit to, to have final say, it's, it's not as though I become wackier and she becomes a little bit more wackier because I've used my extroversion as, as an inhibitor because I don't necessarily want to really get that deep and vulnerable with you. And so my extroversion allows me to put up a bit of a shield and, and I can keep from really getting vulnerable and connecting with you through all of my kind of silliness and happiness along the way. But when I really allow the spirit to guide me, that starts to kind of melt away and what's left is greater warmth or love. And same thing with an introvert, same thing with Deb. It's not as though she becomes wackier or she feels like, I better become wackier if I'm gonna be filled with the spirit. That's not, it's not what happens. It is a spirit of power, love and self-discipline. But, but what happens is she likewise becomes more warm, becomes more connecting. With I see it with the sisters, and I, I see it as, as she's really trying to, to convey love there. So it's not about introversion, extroversion. Matter of fact, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, as well as John at this point, rulers, elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now listen to what they said at the end. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. A little while later, it says, they called him in again, commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John replied, what is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And I think it's not only warmth that comes, whether you be introverted or extroverted, the other thing that comes is courage. And despite the kind of the, the, the psychological, you know, Myers-Briggs analysis of yourself, doesn't matter. When, when the Spirit has a say, we do the will of God, and we are more connecting, more warm, and more courageous. But also, it may be the case that I'm just worn out. I've been trying to, like, live by the Spirit, and I'm going for it. Ah, how much more have I got left? Maybe so, but you're going to go down in a blaze of glory. Amen. But it isn't what the, 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 the uh, scriptures promise. Whoever sows to, to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we're going to reap a harvest if we don't give up. So if you have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Yeah, we, we do get tired. It, it is the case. But I've come to realize that when I allow the Spirit to guide me towards what even is refreshing, it is so much more refreshing. But if I allow my flesh to guide me towards it, it's merely escapism or indulgence. It's binge-watching some lame show, and I come away thinking, wow, boy, aren't I refreshed. I don't come away thinking that. I come away thinking, what a waste. Wow, what if I instead had really been uh, sensitive to the real promptings of the Spirit. There'll be a lot of situations where... 
it's awkward to peel back guy normalcy and really connect at a, at a love level with the brothers. For, for some of us that have a hard time encouraging, it's so vulnerable to deeply encourage somebody. Very difficult. Uh, and, and it will feel awkward. For some of us, we don't like to receive that kind of encouragement, right? We're, we're like at the Last Supper is Jesus would come and try to wash our feet. We're like, oh, uh, I don't know. Not me. Go somewhere else, please. And, and, and you know what? But if we really do allow the Spirit to have His way through us, we're going to have a lot more interactions like that. The body of Christ is going to be strengthened. Our love for one another is going to be legendary, phenomenal, spectacular, as, as we have these kind of connections. Not brought about by the best of what we've got in the flesh, but by getting that out of the way and giving full vent to the beauty of the love of the Spirit, being able to be expressed through us. Or maybe you've been like, hey, you know what? I've been around before. I've seen all this. And maybe you've become a bit jaded. But Paul tells us, be devoted one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep the fervor of the Spirit as you serve the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the people who are in need. Practice hospitality. There'll be opportunities where we think, nah, I don't, I don't know so much about this. I know better. I'm experienced. I've been around the block a little bit in my Christianity. Well, here's what I want to encourage you is that We've all been around this block in our Christianity, and we've all been trying to do it in our flesh more than we ever really understand. I know that's the case for me. I get that. The only way that this is going to really be effective is if we persevere, not become jaded, and do it collectively. Really decide that I want to have the Spirit expressed fully through me. Talk about it with one another. Journal about it. Share those journal entries. To, to have a new culture in the Hampton Roads Church where we are amazed and excited by the Spirit. We come out of a long tradition in the Churches of Christ where the Spirit was viewed with skepticism all the time. That is a legacy that we brought in more than we know. And it's been decades of, of really trying to be able to rise above that. This is not going to be so, such an easy thing to be able to change our culture to the degree that this passage would really expect the change to be the case in, in the Ephesian church and in our church here. Let this be the thing that you talk about all the time. I mean, who would, who would ever tire of talking about the work of the Holy Spirit? And here's the encouraging part, is that when I do allow the Spirit to, to have full expression through me and I don't get in the way... You never come away from that saying, well, look what I did. It actually humbles you. You're like more and more amazed. Like, oh my, it's like I had a front row seat to watch the spirit not walk away from that social interaction. But I got to go up and actually talk about Jesus to somebody that I didn't really know. And it turns out that that person was waiting for somebody to talk to them about Jesus. Like that is happening all the time now. I think I've mentioned this before. I feel like I have like this new adolescence in Christ. It's just so exciting and new and, and wondrous. But, you know, it's very easy to kind of just get, get crushed back into a skepticism of the work of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to fight. We've got to fight against that and, and, and allow this wonders. And then finally, it's going to be scary. It's going to be scary, but I don't care. It's five o'clock somewhere. You're going to have conversations with, with people in the line at the grocery store where you'll be like, oh, no. Why are you prompting me right now, Holy Spirit? Like, these are like the parents of my, my kids' classmates. Now I get to be a 
I don't know, some sort of weird guy that's about to mention Jesus. And, and I'm not even at, at Food Lion, I'm at Farm Fresh. Like if it was a Food Lion, yeah, maybe I could do it. But I'm at Farm Fresh. They judge you in the Farm Fresh line. Food Lion, you do what you want. But I'm at Farm Fresh. Ah, it's all right, here we go. But it's amazing the radical difference when you really do decide, I don't care. Yes, there's a thousand excuses that my prefrontal lobe is going to throw at me to keep on keeping on, to maintain the comfort zone, the homeostasis of normalcy. It, my flesh will rail against it. But in the end, if we can remember again and again, whatever the excuse, I don't care. It's nine o'clock somewhere. Just stay aware. I think if we just stay keenly, highly aware of God's will in every situation this week and pursue His will through the Spirit, we're going to have something to talk about with one another. Let's make sure that we do. Amen. Amen.